But as we're talking about, okay, I'm in, um, just so you know, it's more than just being in on a fast. Uh, we're not really necessarily calling it just to be in on a fast or calling it just to be in church. I mean, I'm glad y'all are in here and you're looking good, but it's more than just being in church or even involved. Really, when we're talking about being uh, okay, I'm in, we're really saying this, I'm in Christ. Like, I'm in this thing. Like, this is not just a little social gathering for me. This is not something I do once a week. No, I'm in Christ. That's, that's really what we're talking about. And so when we make the decision, okay, I'm in. Now, some of these things will certainly help solidify our position, our rootedness in Christ. So, yes, season of fasting and prayer will clarify that for us and maybe even show us some things that start to pull us out of our identity in Christ. And so uh, seasons like this will help and being in church and being involved in services like this, yes, it helps. And having devotion, having a devotional life, yes, of course, that helps. But the ultimate goal, when we talk about I'm in, we're saying I'm in Christ. And Paul talks about that as in his writings and throughout the New Testament. He mentions that phrase a bunch. He mentions the phrase in Christ or in the Lord or in him. He says that phrase some 160 times in his writings in the New Testament. A bunch of those are mentioned just in Colossians chapter 3. Let me just, let me just run through a couple of those just to see the importance uh, in, the, in the word of God that we find ourselves in Christ. Colossians 3, 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus, Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Verse 9 says, for in Christ, there it is again, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Verse 11 begins with the words, in him. Uh, look at verse 16 of still in Colossians 3. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. So ain't nobody gonna judge you on this fast. We don't, we don't do that. Nobody's running around as the fasting police, making sure, whatever. We, we joke about that, but nobody's really. So let no one judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Verse 17, look at this. These are a shadow of things that were to come. The reality, however, is found where? In Christ. Come on, across all of our campuses, the reality is found in Christ. Yes, of course, that's the goal, and that's where we'll find the reality. And so with that being really the ultimate goal, the title, or the, I guess maybe the subtitle of our message under this thought of, okay, I'm in, I guess my subtitle would be this, Calling All Insiders. Today, I'm calling all insiders. Let's pray. Let's ask God to anoint this word. Let's ask God to help us to hear it. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that heaven would be open. I come against all distraction. I come against every attack of the enemy. I pray, God, in open heaven, anyone who's a, a part of this service and a part of this message right now, I just pray that our hearts would be right, that we would be tender before you, sensitive to you, God, we ask you to speak to us what the Spirit is saying. Give us ears to hear. I pray a fresh, prophetic anointing on your word right now. In Jesus' name, come on, everybody said amen. 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 Well, about a month ago, uh, someone here in the church blessed our family and, and, and provided a way for us to, uh, for all of us to go to Universal Studios for a day. 
Um, we used to have passes at Universal Studios back in the day for maybe a couple years, and we would go there fairly often back then. We'd go, a lot of times we'd go in the evening uh, because we could. We could just run over and hit it for a couple hours when it was cooler in the day. And, and one of my, it was so fun for me when I would go in the evenings is we'd watch everybody coming out of the park after a long day of being in the park. These people had saved up their money and come on vacation to Orlando with their families in order to have the most fun days that they could possibly have. But when you watch them coming out of the amusement park at the end of the day, they did not look like that. I mean, they were beaten down, they were exhausted, they were hot, they were mad at everybody, they were second guessing all their life decisions at that point, you know? And it was just always fun for me to come in kind of fresh and watch these people who had come for this fun and they were just coming out anything but that. It was just horrible for them. And so I, I always kind of had fun with that. Well, um, we show up uh, at, the, at the park and we were uh, ready and we'd heard that um, uh, you know, they had a capacity. There's a lot of, uh, with COVID, so there's a lot of uh, different procedures. So they had a capacity now. And, um, and we'd heard that on some days they'll hit capacity and you can't get in. So we were trying to get there fairly early to try to keep that from happening. And so even parking was different. Even to get into the parking was different because they were skipping every other space for distancing. And so they're doing what they can. I'm, That's fine. And, but it was taking even longer to, to even get parked. We got parked and then we're walking over to the uh, to where the parks are, where City Walk is. And if you guys have been in, any of you have been out there, you know that there's those moving sidewalks, which are nice. I wish we had those just everywhere in life. That would be nice. But some people just get on them and they just stand there and you're moving even slower than walking. But you got to, I guess you got time for that. And some would get on it and walk and you get to go double, double fast. And that's usually what I do on one of those. So, um, so anyway, we get, we get on those and we get to the end of the moving sidewalk for those of you who have been there, when you do, when you get off the moving sidewalk, now you're kind of entering into city walk. But normally you have another, I don't know, I didn't measure it, 300, 400, 500 yards of walking to get to either Islands of Adventure or Universal Studios. And so we got off the moving sidewalk and right then there was people everywhere, like just crowded up right at the end of the, you couldn't even hardly get off the moving sidewalk. There were so many people and we were like, why are all these people standing here? Like, this isn't the place to stand. There's nothing fun at this spot. Like, there's a lot of fun over here. What's going on? And we just kind of looked at them like, uh, they're probably just from out of town. They don't know what they're doing. And so we just walked past them with all kinds of confidence. And, and we're just walking. And as we're walking, we notice that there's just people everywhere. It's just so crowded. And we notice that it's kind of like lines. These lines that are out there right at the beginning of CityWalk. Hundreds of yards from the theme parks. And we're like, What's, what are these, what are they waiting in line for? And as we got closer to the parks, we realized, wait, this is the line just to get inside the park. Like I've never seen it like this before. So we got to turn around and walk back by all these same people that we just walked by. It was either that or cut and we just didn't feel right. I mean, maybe, no, we didn't. And so we, we walked all the way back and we get back there and we see that there was one worker back there with this, the smallest speaker ever attached to their belt. And they were going, this is the line to get into the park. You had to like basically get down in your ear to even hear. I'm like, oh, well, I guess we'll get in line now. So we get in line and we, I mean, again, we're hundreds of yards away uh, from the park. It, 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 so far away that you're like, I hope this is right. I hope this is the right line because we could get somewhere and this could be the line to the parking lot. I don't, like it's so far away. So we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting in that line and it's moving kind of slow and we finally get to the point where you can kind of see the park and you see the line heading there. You go, okay, good, we, we are in the right line but we're still waiting and finally uh, waiting longer and we, we finally get up to the gate 
and uh, we, we, we got to the gate, got inside, and we were able to look at each other and go, okay, we're in. And when we hit that moment of, okay, we're in, we kind of looked around and we're like, so, what do we do now? Like, what should, I don't know, what should we do? And so we were like, well, there, let's do this. And so we go over to this first ride, and the first ride is closed. So, oh, man, that's, didn't expect that. That's, uh, usually that's open and that's closed, and usually there's not a line. And there at the beginning, inside was kind of feeling a lot like outside. And we go to the next ride, and we're like, well, let's ride this ride. Okay, what should we do? Let's get in line. Well, we, yeah, I'm good at lines. I've been doing this for a while already today. So now we get in line, and it's moving slow, and we're moving a little by little. And again, inside was feeling a lot like outside did. And it felt like that until we sat down on the ride. The ride I was sitting down on was called Dr. Doom's Fear Fall. I don't know if you've ever ridden it. This is what it looks like, but you're getting buckled in there, and all of a sudden, this thing just shoots you with no warning up into the atmosphere at a velocity that probably the human body is not supposed to go. Um, it's faster than the space shuttle goes. It's faster than a, 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 the torque of a 747 jet. <laughs> Shoots you up to a whole different altitude, a, a whole different height. Gives you, gives you a different perspective. Like you can see the whole park from up there. It gives you a sensation that, man, you're going to feel it. And here's the thing. Those things were not available on the outside. Like, you couldn't move at that velocity. That wasn't available on the outside. It was only available on the inside. You couldn't get to that altitude on the outside. That was only available on the inside. You couldn't gain that perspective and see the whole park. You couldn't get that on the outside. You could only get that on the inside. You couldn't have that sensation on the outside. You could only have it on the inside. That's why I'm calling for all the insiders to realize that there is something to be said for living life in Christ. Because you move at a pace you could never move. You see from a perspective you could, you could never see. You achieve heights that you could never achieve. That's what we're talking about when we say, in Christ, okay, that's, I'm in on that. And the word insider, just even defined, it's, I looked it up just for fun. It was kind of interesting to me. This word insider is a person recognized or accepted as a member of a group, a category, or an organization, which I think could kind of fit for us. We're talking about Christianity. We're not, it's not even the church that we're talking about. Yes, being involved in church is going to really help solidify that in your life. But to be in Christ, and it's also, the definition continues, it's a person who's in a position of power. Mm, I like that. That I can tap into a power source as I find myself rooted in Christ. A, a person who is in a position of power and has access to confidential information. Oh, I think that fits because there, there are things that, I can be, that can be impressed upon me from, from God as I live my life in him. It's, a, it's just a different level of sensitivity to his voice, a different understanding even of his word. That's what an insider is. And as we look at the uh, disciples, I, I'm sure that they considered themselves insiders. They would have had to have considered themselves 
insiders. I mean, they were the 12 and they were with Jesus and I'm sure everyone else looked at them and said, oh man, they're the insiders. And so as we kind of think about them in that role of an insider, I want us to look at Mark chapter 9 and see what we can learn about our need to be insiders. Mark chapter 9, and let's start with verse 14. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. If you're there, come on, say amen. Amen. It says, when they came to the other disciples, and let me pause right there, give you a little bit of background. They came to the other disciples. Here's who they were. It was Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Peter had taken those three up on a mountain, and they experienced a transfiguration of Christ. It was an incredible insider moment. They knew it. They realized it. They said, this is a big deal. Let's build something. Like they, they just knew this was a big deal. And now they've come down from this moment. Uh, they came to the other disciples, the other nine, and they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with the other nine disciples. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And I'll continue reading in a moment, but every time I read that verse, it reminds me of a time years and years ago in my normal just prayer time devotion life, but I was just reading this chapter and I got to that phrase, they could not. And I just felt so uh, stirred by the Holy Spirit just in that phrase, they could not. Because here I was a youth pastor and I could just see myself having a parent come and saying, my son, my daughter, they're, they're, there's something going on in their life and they need spiritual help. And I, right there in that moment, that prayer time, I was praying. I said, God, I never want to be the kind of minister that cannot. I never want to be the kind of minister that can't deal with, with real spiritual things that are going on. Uh, and that's just been the, the cry of my heart ever since God just kind of spoke that to me. But here, the disciples, that's where they were. They, they couldn't deal with this situation. It frustrated Jesus as well. In verse 19, he said, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw him, threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. This is quite a scene. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. I believe God's going to speak to us as we continue just to look at this story, this account of this incredible miracle about the value of really being in Christ and, and maybe the danger of finding ourselves not there. Uh, there is a real call for 
us to be in Christ, there's a real need for us. And as we look at uh, the reality of, of why it's so important, why do we need to be insiders, I think the first thing that jumps out to me is because of the reality of spiritual uh, warfare, because of the reality of a spiritual attack. We read it there in those first couple of verses. This father brings his son to Jesus and, and starts to explain what's going on. And he lays out a very vivid spiritual attack. He says it's, the spirit has robbed him of his speech. It seizes him, throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. And that word, if you're, you're talking about what the enemy's plan for your life is, that word rigid in the Greek, it means to be spent. It means to be immobilized. It means to have no, like nothing left. And boy, if that's not how the enemy wants you to get, just be so burnt out, so spent, so beaten down by life, so immobilized, that's exactly how he wants the church to live, to be completely uh, inactive and unable to accomplish anything. That's what that word means. In verse 20, um, he brings, uh, they, they bring the boy to Jesus, and as soon as the Spirit sees Jesus, Throws this boy into a convulsion. All the same stuff again. He's rolling around, foaming at the mouth. He says, how long has he been like this? The dad says, it's from, from childhood. He says, it's even thrown him into the fire and water to kill him. You're going to talk about the mission of the enemy. Spiritual attack. The enemy is, we, we know what his will. We know what his plan is. Jesus said, I came that you could have life, have life to the full. But he said, the enemy, he came to steal to kill, and to destroy. So spiritual warfare is real. We may not see it, but here Jesus and these three disciples come down from this mountain. They're coming from this glory of heaven right into a battle of hell. That's how real spiritual warfare is. Now, this account has caused some confusion even for some scholars as they've looked at this because they'll take the symptoms that this father describes and if you look at what he describes, um, some of those symptoms are very sim similar to different uh, physical conditions like epilepsy or something like that. And so there have definitely been periods of time or different people who have read that and maybe misunderstood that to think that because this boy brings his son to Jesus and these are his symptoms and it was spiritual in nature, some people think, well, then people with these symptoms, it must be spiritual in nature. It must be demon possession every time somebody has these symptoms. And maybe someone feels that way about anything that goes on in life, that it's just always demonic no matter what's going on. Like if anytime I have a sniffle, it's because of the demonic. And anytime there's any symptom at all, it's demonic. And anytime that I have a flat tire, it's demonic. It's the devil. Uh, anytime someone pulls in that part, spot that I was getting ready to pull into. That's the devil. It's demonic, you know, like, and so I don't know, or anytime, uh, you know, because I had to, you know, pay for this because it broke, like, I don't know. It's demonic. And I, I think some of those things happen and the devil goes, oh, you got yourself into that. I didn't even know that was going on. I, I'm not everywhere at once. It's foolish for us to think every single symptom, every single thing is demonic in nature, but you know what's equally foolish? to think that none of it is demonic. We make the mistake of thinking, no, 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 all these things that I'm going through, it's just, it's just me, it's just normal. Because when we don't see it as a spiritual war, what we start to do is we think we can fix it ourselves. 
We think, oh, no, I can, I can fix my marriage myself. You know, well, I'll, just start, I'll just will and I'll manipulate my, my partner to do this or that. Or we start to think, no, 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 I can, I can work my way through this. I'll just, I'll just start doing this different and I'll start doing this and I'll, start, I'll, I'll, I'll get smarter about this and I'll think about it and I'll work harder to fix this. And we start to fix things and we're using the wrong weapons because it's not a physical war, it's a spiritual war. The weapons we fight with are not of this world, Corinthians says. And so a spiritual war is real. Spiritual attack is real. And it's a dangerous place to be when in the middle of a spiritual war and not even know it's going on. I remember when I was a youth pastor um, at the church I was at before I came here. So this obviously would have been years and years ago. Took the youth ministry to a, a, a Friday night rally, and so we went, and then on the way home, because it's in the youth pastor rule book, we stopped and got ice cream before we got back to the church. You kind of have to do those things as a youth pastor. So we did. Everybody went in, got their ice cream, came out, and I didn't even realize it, but um, uh, some of the boys had gotten out a football out of the van, and they were on the football team, some of the kids in that youth ministry, and so they had gotten out a football, and they were either going to start a game out there in the parking lot, or at least play catch, and I didn't know it, didn't even see it, didn't even know they had it out, and I was just standing there just doing good things, you know, just living a good life, and just being uh, there for uh, my students, and uh, not, not, not hurting anybody, you know, and as I stand there, I just kind of lean one direction like this, and I didn't know it was even out, but the guy behind me was getting ready to throw the ball to a guy that was pretty far away, and he could throw the football pretty good. And for some reason, he didn't see me in between his arm and the other guy. And so when he threw the football, he was just a couple feet from me. He threw the football. I didn't even know it was coming, and I mean out of nowhere, just bam, on the side of my face. Uh, it might as well have been a baseball bat. It hurt so bad, caught me so off guard. I, I couldn't even hardly see. I had stars. I turn around, look at him. I'm all blurry, and I'm looking at him, and he's looking like, oh, boy. And uh, so I immediately just kicked him out of the church. I said, you're no longer allowed to attend. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. I mean, I wanted to. I just wasn't allowed to do that. <laughs> now I'm looking at him. I'm like, what is, what's going on? What are you thinking? He's like, I didn't see you. I'm sorry. And I said, man, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, if I had just... Like if I had just seen it coming, how different it would have been. If I could have just put my hand up, if I just had a second to go, wait a minute, I'm under attack, or maybe I could duck. Just seeing it coming a little bit makes such a difference in how we react to it. So how dangerous it is to be in the middle of a spiritual war and be blind to it and go, no, no, it's, no, it's nothing spiritual going on. Yes, it is. Because at least if you know it's happening, there's something that you can do about it. There's something you can do differently. You'll deal with the strife going on in your family in a different way because you see it in, in a spiritual realm. And that only comes from being in Christ. You'll, you'll deal with that sleeplessness at night and the anxiety and the fear. And you go, no, it's just how I am. No, it's not. There's a, there could be a spiritual attack going on in your life. The, even sickness and disease or, or addiction and habitual sin. There, 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 there is definitely a spiritual war going on for your life. And for some of you that are under the sound of my voice, here's the thing. You're in the middle of a spiritual war and you don't even believe in spiritual war. Whew. You want to talk about a dangerous place to live? You're walking around going, oh, I don't believe in that stuff. Well, that stuff believes in you. I can tell you that. Like it's all over your life. 
Why is it that you feel so void? Why is it that you feel like you can't find purpose? Why is it that you feel like nothing, you, everywhere you turn is just not right? And even if you're met with some success in the world, it feels empty by the time you achieve it because there's more going on in your life. And our only discernment and defense to the spiritual war comes from being firmly rooted in Christ. That's when I can be aware to it. I like... I like as this conversation continues with this father and, this, and Jesus, as he's saying it, it often throws in the fire water to kill him, and he says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and, and help us. If you can do anything. Now, I suppose if we were reading that story and we stopped right there and we didn't know how this conversation unfolded, I suppose some of us would go, yeah, that's, that seems right. He was being kind of uh, courteous to Jesus, and he said, if you can you know, help me. And we wouldn't maybe even find any fault with that. But Jesus did take, uh, uh, he took some concern with the way the father worded his sentence. Because after he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus says, um, did you say if I can? If you can? Kind of pointing out, do you realize who it is that you're speaking to. If you can, he said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, yes, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Why do we need to be insiders? I think because of the great temptation of if. I think that there is such a temptation for us to live life by if. Like, instead of, okay, I'm in, this father was kind of like, okay, but I'm iffy, like I'm not sure if this is gonna work and, and I, I have my doubts, but if you can do anything. Uh, and this father goes from, uh, okay, if you can help my son and it'd be great and Jesus says, wait a minute, I, what are you, who are you talking to? And he goes from, if you can help my son and can you help my son, he goes, okay, well then actually help me. Actually, I, I kinda need help. Uh, uh, he says, you know, my, my son, he's dealing with this attack of darkness, he, but I've realized now I'm dealing with an attack of doubt. So he says, help me. And I'm not sure which of those is worse. So easy for us to doubt. So easy for us to walk through life if. So easy for if to creep in to our relationship with God. Even as we are trying to find ourselves rooted in Christ. I guess, I don't know, doubt comes natural to most of us. It's just so easy. Like if something seems too good to be true, we just automatically doubt it. Advertising on TV, if it seems too good to be true, we go, that's probably not true because it's too good to be true. Like that, that's just how we are. And, and I, I remember a couple years ago, uh, me and Pastor were just talking about it actually. Uh, a couple years ago, we got this uh, invitation on an email form inviting uh, us to go speak at this conference in London. And uh, it was this, it was the, it was, they had this big fancy name for the conference, the, the uh, Powerful Supernatural Wonders and Miracles Conference. It was one of the, they had a really good name. And it was like, we're gonna, we'll fly you over. We'll put you up in the nicest hotel. They had the hotel name in, in London, super nice hotel. And we'll give you a, we're gonna give you an honorarium to come and preach and minister. And the honorarium, and they put the amount, and we were both looking at it going, Neither one of us have ever gotten that much to preach anywhere. Like, that's, that's legit. And at that point, that's when I started feeling like the Lord was calling me to this conference. <laughs> so I was like, hey, you know, I mean, Pastor, I think one of us should have definitely. And he goes, well, I, don't, I can't go that time. He said, you can go. I said, well, amen. And then I had his confirmation and the Lord. So I knew, I knew this was God's will. Um, but there's a part of me that goes, this, this almost seems 
too good to be true. So I start to make contests and say, hey, good news, whatever church you are, Pastor Johnny's on the way. Like, I'm in. Okay, let's do this. And they say, okay, great. Yeah, here's the dates. I say, okay, I got those free. I freed those dates up on the calendar. That honorarium's still right. Okay, good? Yeah, all right, good. Uh, they said, okay, here's the thing. It's coming up pretty quick, and we gotta, we gotta put a rush on your visa. We have somebody in the church that works for customs, and so what you need to do is send us $400 to put a rush on the visa. Now, it'll, the honorarium will more than cover. Why are you guys all in the ooh? It was a great conference. I went, and it was, no, you're ahead of me, aren't you? Yeah. Just send $400, and then we can rush the visa, whatever. And at that point, I started thinking, no, I, don't, I don't know about this. So I, I just quoted sentences out of that initial uh, email, and I just Google searched the, those sentences. And all of a sudden, all these threads start popping up of all these poor preachers <laughs> that thought they were going to preach at the Supernatural Miracles and Powers Conference. And they said, don't do it. I, I sent my $400 for my visa. I never heard from them again. And so it was just nothing but a big internet scam. Uh, and so once, once it was like, yeah, send us a little bit of money. We're going to send you a bunch later. I thought, this sounds like an African prince thing. Like, this sounds uh, very similar to... And so I guess in that moment, my doubt and my too good to be true, I guess, I guess you could say it was good. I guess you could say it saved me some money. But I'm going to tell you this. It may work sometimes when it comes to internet scams, but this if mentality, this doubt, this too good to be true will not help you any in the kingdom of God. You cannot afford to go to God with this mindset of, well, this is, you can't pray prayers of, well, God, if. I mean, I know you probably don't want to, and I probably don't even deserve it, but if you can, like, provide for me, that would be great, God. Or if you can bring healing to my family, God, if you can restore, God, if my kids could come back to you. I know that I, know that I probably messed up enough as a parent that I don't even deserve to have kids that live for you. you got to get that junk out of your prayer life, that temptation of if. Because when you're in Christ, guess what? You have access to Christ and all of his power and all of his glory and everything that he can do is yours. Matter of fact, he said anything is possible, not for me. He said anything is possible for him who believes, who gets the if out of the equation. And this father, though it may come natural him for him to have that if, I also believe this. I also believe that it was certainly enhanced, right? His, his if was certainly enhanced by his interaction with the disciples. Because remember, he brings his son to these disciples for a spiritual breakthrough, and he says they could not. And you know what that did? It just confirmed and fueled his, the father's if. I, that's what I thought, yeah. Like the disciples, their representation of Christ carried with it consequences. Can I say that one more time? The disciples' representation of Christ carried with it consequences. It affected this father. And guess what? Our representation of Christ also carries with it consequences. People are watching you. I just saw the other day, yet again, I've seen it many times uh, uh, on social media, but a trend is, is very, uh, very active right now for people to point out 
Christians who act a certain way and that may not line up with the word of God and use that as the reason why God doesn't exist or why you should never go to church. This implication that the church is just filled with people who treat people poorly and who never tip and who, who uh, act a certain way when people you know, in, in stores and act rude and, and disown certain people. And I'm reading these comments thinking, oh, man, I wish you guys would come through our church because I just don't know very many people like that. There's a lot of people that love Jesus and want to love people at the same time. Amen. And I say that to say this, the world is watching. And I don't want to make anybody's if stronger than it already is by my actions. How you live matters. How you pray is important. How you fast, it has consequence. Your life matters. Your generosity is pivotal. Your involvement matters. Your ministry, it matters. It all matters. There's a Moody quote. D.L. Moody said this. He said, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible. The other 99 will just read the Christian. How we live, it matters. That's why we're called to be insiders and to live like it. And the last thing I'll just bring out of this story, and we haven't even read these verses yet. It's kind of after. It's just like the, this is the after party. The boy gets healed and looks like he's dead. Jesus picks him up and everybody's like, yes, what a miracle. And then they go inside. The insiders go inside with Jesus. And when he had gone into the house, verse 28, his disciples ask him privately, why could we not cast it out? Why didn't this stuff work? Jesus, you had given us authority over demons. You'd given us authority to drive out evil spirits. I remember when you spoke that over us. So why couldn't we drive it out? And he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. I guess I would word it this way. Why do you need to be an insider? Because of the allure of around. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The allure of around. Could it be that these disciples started to mistake the difference between being around the things of God and being in God? Could it be that they started to make the mistake of thinking, I'm around Christ and he gave me authority. So being around Christ, I guess I'm still tapped into that authority. They made the mistake of thinking, no, no, no. That authority that he gave you, it's there. But it's there not when you're around Christ. It's there when you are in Christ. Such a temptation for us to start to think that just being around this stuff is enough. It's as if when Jesus said, no, 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 this, this stuff only comes out by, by he's, it gets translated prayer and fasting, and it's, it's one word in, in the Greek that gets translated in this, uh, in this version, prayer and fasting. It's a word called prosuke. Prosuke, and it's, it's a word, obviously here, right? It's translated prayer and fasting. But it's not a word that's used for prayer a lot in, in, in the New Testament. Matter of fact, in Mark, it's only used twice, this word, prosuke. And most of the words that get translated prayer would have more of a to ask or request. But this word doesn't mean to ask or request. This word means to be in a place of prayer. This word isn't as much about a singular prayer. It's more about 
prayers, plural. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying, this didn't work for you because you didn't yell it right. You didn't say the right combination of words. You weren't intense enough in your prayers. You didn't pray in the King James Version. That's why it didn't. That's not what Jesus is saying. You know what Jesus is saying? This didn't work for you because you have lost your place of prayer. We can all pray in a crisis. That's what they were doing. They got in a crisis. They're like, oh man, this is, look at this kid. He's foaming at the mouth. He's rolling around. Crisis prayer. Lord, help us. We need help. We can all pray in a crisis, but there are there are some battles that need more than a crisis prayer. There just, there are. We just read about it. There are some battles that when I get into them, I can thank God. I don't just have a crisis prayer life. I have a consistent prayer life. And because I have a consistent prayer life, I'm ready for this. Because I live in a place of prayer, because I'm in Christ. Like that's the whole thing. It's to be in Christ, to be in fellowship with him to be in relationship with him. That's what it's all about. The disciples started thinking, I was out well, my, my position. We, we think the same thing. You don't, but I serve on a certain position at the church. Isn't that, that surely that's, enough. they start thinking their title was gonna be enough. They start thinking familiarity with the thing. We know Christ pretty well. I mean, we've been around this stuff. For, we see how he's done it. Start to think attendance is enough or involvement is enough or support is enough. And listen, none of those things are wrong. They're just not the ultimate goal. All those things get us towards the ultimate goal, which is being in Christ, okay? When we say, okay, I'm in, I'm saying, I'm in on living a life. I'm in Christ. Is fasting gonna help me get there? Yeah. Is worship, is my prayer life gonna help me get, yeah. Is being faithful to the house, yeah. It's trying to get free from this junk and the sin. Oh yeah, it's all gonna be part of that process. But I like the way Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says it. It says, in him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. Can I say it one more time? In him we live. In him we move. In him we have our being. Okay then, I'm in. Could I ask you across all of our campuses here, at this campus there in the atrium, would you bow your heads and close your eyes right now? Nobody looking around. We still have a couple of minutes. And with nobody looking around, I ask you to do that across all of our campuses to give us a moment of introspection. To be honest with what's going on in our life. Like if you look down spiritually at where you're standing, at where you're rooted, are you in Christ? Some of you, you're hearing me today and you're not. You're not, you're not in a relationship with Christ at all. You're, you're maybe not even around him that much. Could it be that today God's calling you? Because listen to me, there's a spiritual war. You may not have sensed it. You may not have known it, but it's real. And there's an enemy of your soul that wants to destroy you. But Jesus said, I've come that you could have life, eternal life, life to the full. If you're in this place in one of our campuses watching from somewhere and you need to get right with God, I want to encourage you to do something. Nobody's looking around. It's between you and God. But I'm going to encourage you to do something. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to lift up your hand, just signifying I need to get right with God today. I need to come back to him. I need to get in Christ again. Hands are already up. If that's you, come on, let me see your hand. I need to get right with God. I need to get in Christ again. I need to come back to him. Or I need to get right with God for the first time in my life. Yeah, hands up all over this auditorium. There at Michigan Street, there at Red Buck. If that's you, come on, lift up your hand. 
hear from God right now. I need to get right with God. There in the atrium, if that's you, I need to get right with God. I need to find myself in Christ. I'm not there now. God bless you. So many hands went up. I believe that today is a pivotal day for you. And I believe your life matters. I think it does. And I think your decision is going to affect other people because you're going to find your life in Christ. Could I ask, would you stand your feet across all of our campuses here in this auditorium as well? Our campus pastors are going to take the service there at the campuses. And here and in the atrium, would you stand to your feet? Church, here's what we're going to do. I want to lay it out. In these closing couple of moments, Pastor John's getting ready to lead us in that song that we sang a few moments ago that just says, nothing else will do. And maybe we realize that more now than we, maybe we have in a, in a little bit. There's, it's nothing else. It, I just want you. We're going to sing that. And as we sing it, I want a couple of things. Uh, I think it would be great if a couple of things happened. Number one, if you lifted your hand saying, you need to get right with God, I want to invite you to step out from where you are and make your way just taking steps of faith, like walking away from who you used to be to who you're going to be, getting out of that life where you're rooted in all whatever else you're rooted in and getting into a place where you're in Christ. If you lifted your hand and you're not alone, I want you to step out and come and we're going to pray together at this front. But also I want every single Christian in this room to just consider and reconsider where you're at. And maybe God's speaking to you during this season of fasting and prayer to really start to emphasize the spirit realm some more. Maybe God's calling you to a deeper prayer life. Maybe God's calling you to a, a more rich time of, of worship, not just in these kinds of settings, but maybe by yourself. Maybe God's calling you to crack open the word of God and begin to read the word and let the word kind of read you. Perhaps God's speaking to you. And so as we sing this song, I want you to hear from God. You lifted your hand, you need to get right with God. As we begin to sing, I want you to step in and come. If you have any other need in your life and you want prayer, anything going on in your body, sickness, come on, step out and come as we sing. I just want you, I just want you, come on, step out and come. God bless you. God bless you as you come. You lifted your hand, saying, I need to get right with God. Come on, meet me at this front. Meet us at this front. This is a day where every, everything changes on the inside. All different. Come on, find yourself in Christ. It's not too far to come. We're gonna sing it one more time. Nothing else. I'm yours. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just Come on, one more time. We say, let's lift up a hand to heaven and just say, nothing else will do. Nothing else. I believe when you live life in Christ, everything changes. Velocity you never knew. Altitude you never knew. Vision, perspective you never knew. So this week, let's plan on that. Let's believe on that. Let's, let's believe that's going to happen. I want to remind you about a couple of things. The Wednesday night, our, our, our service will be more, mostly prayer uh, focused. And so come Wednesday night and spend some time. And then Friday night, prayer night here in this auditorium. Uh, seven o'clock. Invite you out to that as well. Have a spirit-led awesome week. God bless you. We love you.